on this episode. So to try and cure his head spinning, his dizziness, he got leeches and put them on Hitler's temples. I don't know why they didn't trust him. <laughs> it's like the minute I see leeches come, I'm like, you quack, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> That's like Middle Ages, like 1300s, you know, like well, I mean, medicine. I know that they're used for some things, you know, like, like cleaning infection. Okay, that makes logical sense. Yeah, but Just not... throwing as... leeches on my eyebrows. It's like... <laughs> so, he, when that didn't work, he just started giving him... He gave him some barbiturates to, like, you know, calm him down and put him to sleep. I, 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 I... <laughs> Basically. <laughs> okay, one question I have, though. You yeah. said he got really concerned about his image and everything, and like, yeah, you know, and but where'd he come up with that mustache? Was that because when you were, no, listen, man, when you think about it, I don't know another mustache like that in history. Like, was he just taking a gamble one day with a razor? Like, fuck it, I'm doing this shit. They're gonna, I'm gonna own this look now. Like, he fucked up. Like, I, so he was so concerned. I was just like, but why that? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of No Country for Old Mark and Juan. I am your host, Mark Pearson, and this is my co-host, Juan Smith. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, thank you for, you know, subscribing, rate and review, please. That is really, really helpful. We appreciate every little thing that you do for us, you know, every little click, every little like. Uh, please, you know, reach out to us on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com slash No Country Podcast. You can hit us up on Instagram at No underscore Country underscore Podcast or on Twitter at Podcast underscore Country. You can email us at No Country Podcast at gmail.com or you can be super amazing and leave us a voicemail at 346 291 0050. Now, uh, after last week, everyone who heard, uh, we've kind of gotten a little bit more structured here in the podcast and <clears throat> it only took 20 something episodes but i have noticed that about listening to other podcasts you know the first 20 30 episodes people are finding their feet figuring out what they're doing and we're getting a little more structure because uh i want to make this really engaging and interesting and you know do something really cool for our listeners out there you know hopefully something this is something that you guys will you know enjoy and want to share with your friends we appreciate it when you do share uh you know, we're still going to be the still the focus is silver linings and laughter. That's still it. But we're going to, you know, dive into some random topics, you know, more like learn about some things and then, you know, kind of bring out of the subjects each week, you know, whatever, you know, how Juan and I do. We put we'll put our spin on it. We'll put our humorous take on it. We'll get serious sometimes. You can get serious sometimes. <laughs> I've, I've tried to do that from the beginning, but uh, a couple weeks ago, I finally had the idea of like how to make it more structured and streamlined. And so, you know, we're getting I'd better love at to this. Be streamlined. Yeah. And a, uh, uh, I actually put for this particular episode, I read a book. I read a book. And then Holy I watched. Holy shit, man. Yeah, and then I read three doc, <laughs> watched three documentaries and did a ton of internet research. So I have probably like 14 to 20 hours into this. So I want to make this something, you know, something good. I want to do something quality for the listeners out there. So 
anyways, before, uh, you know, well, actually, no, I think that's it. So, yeah, now we can get into it. It's time for another installment. Not, not every week's going to be like this, but we're going to do another episode of Real History According to Mark and Juan. And this particular episode is uh, some lesser-known facts about World War II that you may not know. Uh, FYI, World War II is my favorite subject in history to study. It always has been ever since like grade school when I first started reading about it. It's just always been a fascinating thing. And then also we're exploring this. Actually, we're going to start out by exploring how and why Germany became a Nazi power. And the reason, and that's like the first half and the second half is going to be some more lesser known facts. But the reason we're exploring this topic today is because back in episode 16, Juan made some comments about Hitler, and he wondered, well, first he called Joel a uh, Hitler wet dream, which is pretty f- fair and yeah, accurate. He, he uh, looks him, wise. He looks wise. Right. No, no, no. Looks wise. And you said the same thing about Lenny, too. Lenny very much has that blonde hair, blue eyes look to her. Oh, yeah. But, that family would have got medals. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, shout out to Lenny. I'm going to hang out with Lenny tomorrow. Can't wait. Um. Yeah, she'll hear this like a week later. <laughs> well, you'll be uh, it, safe then. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm glad that some people were studious in school and like got into that because I was just chasing ass the whole time. <laughs> but I have my degree, as you know, in astrology. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways. <laughs> uh, so uh, Juan made some comments about Hitler and wondered how you know him and the Nazis came to power. You know, Juan suggested that it could be because they had the coolest uniforms, and you know, and I thought, well, you know. Juan didn't know, might as well, you know, explain a little bit about it and actually get into the meat of it because it's sad that a lot of people don't know or understand because all the information's out there and it's not hard to find. It's just I think most people don't, you know, they either don't know or they're not, re- it's not really an interest or a hobby like it is for me and some people just don't really care. Well, and you read a book, man. Actually, yeah, the book I read, I'll tell you about the book <laughs> later because the book pertains to... um more of like the second half of what this is. So I don't want to get in, you know, into the second half too much. I want to kind of set set the story first. So uh Juan, uh let's dive into this. <clears throat> so actually No all swimming, of- man. I'm staying out of the water. <laughs> we need to come up with another phrase. <laughs> let's uh let's uh open up the fridge on this or something maybe <laughs> open up the fridge let's crack the refer- pepsi can on this or... i was gonna say so many of our references on this show revolve around <laughs> food and drink let's hike that thong the sides up a little bit on this <laughs> little, the whale little, tail well you know that way you get a little more interest in the subject <laughs> <true>. matter <laughs> i'm horrible i am the horrible fan i'm sorry oh by the way i'm almost finished making a making a horrible friend ringtone I got a few. I got a, <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> what is it? The I background? Would, a kid crying and me laughing? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just you saying horrible friend. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so I was like, I need to. Do, so I'm working on it. I'm almost done with it. Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> between, between like work and podcasting, I've, it's taken up a lot of my time this week and it's actually been really good. But, Back to, or I should say, down to like the story here. Uh, Germany's troubles actually all began in World War One, you know, 1914 through 1918. Uh, as the Allies made a successful advance, and Germany saw that the war was unwinnable, so they wound up signing an armistice in 1918 with the Allied powers, putting an end to the fighting. You know, they realized 
back then it was trench warfare and there was no real, you know, the front wasn't really moving either direction. Anytime a group of men got up, they would just get mowed down by machine guns and the artillery. It was like, it was one of the biggest loss at that point in time. It's like a stalemate and risk. Yeah, it was a stalemate. <laughs> and then so many people were dying of just, you know, the warfare, but also like, you know, death, the and elements, sickness and disease, sickness, and yeah. poison gas and all this other stuff. It was at the most catastrophic war up until that point. And so Germany, um, they were like, well, you know what, we're just going to have to sign an armistice. And they didn't surrender. They just signed a ceasefire. So um, after this, there, this, after the end of the fighting, their government, which was empirical, you know, an empire, uh, it started to collapse. And a lot of the people were very upset, um, you know, mostly the German citizens. And they started to rise up against the government. And then a lot of worker strikes started happening, too. So the economy started to struggle. And then eventually there was a revolution. And after the, uh, the Kaiser abdicated his throne... And then during this revolution, the leadership of the country was afraid of a communist uprising because there was a group of communists there that had seen what was happening in Russia. And so the people wanted, the people were suffering and the pe- they had just suffered this war. Their economy was terrible. And they wanted to have a better, you know, they wanted to have a better standard of well, living. Well, people were getting desperate, so it's right pickings for the wrong yeah, for the, for situation. The, for socialism. Or could have been the right, but yeah. Yeah. So, um... This, the, the people in power were afraid of a communist uprising, but this led them to form the Weimar Republic. I, I, if, I get a, if I get German words wrong, just bear with me, people. German, German is a hard language because it's just so many consonants. I'm trying. I, I, I've heard Weimar. Maybe that's correct, but I don't know. I probably could ask my uncle because he's German, but I didn't really get around to it because I'm pretty sure people are just going to understand that I don't speak German. So. And they, you know what? They make really good cars <laughs> and some really good metal. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this new system of government had lots of ob- problems to overcome. Uh, then they were forced to sign a peace treaty after the armistice, and this forced the Germans to give up 10% of their total territory, accept full responsibility for World War I, and then pay financial reparations to the countries that they invaded and hurt and stuff, and then also dismantle their army. And so with their economy already weak, the terms of the peace treaty only weakened their economy even further, leading to hyperinflation, shortage of food, and mass unemployment. And as a part of the treaty, they were uh, prohibited from having an air force of any kind. They were prohibited from having any tanks, poison gas, heavy artillery, and their entire army was limited to 100,000 men and 4,000 officers. Wow. Yeah. So they were basically stripped they were like, of... And made sure they add, and you have to admit you're at fault. Yeah, basically... <laughs> it's like, it not was, bad enough. I got to give everything away. Yeah. So it was... They, they basically were stripped down to nothing. So many, you know, German nationalists, traditional Germans, old school Germans, and then war veterans believed that the government had betrayed the army because they felt like they could have won the war. They still believe stubbornly that they could have won the war. And so they felt betrayed. (laughs) And also they felt betrayed because they signed those harsh terms, basically crippling their economy and their country and ruining it. And Hitler, who was a veteran of World War I, was among one of those people who felt betrayed 
and he opposed the new Weimar, I'm going to say Weimar because it sounds cooler, uh, Weimar Republic. <coughs> I'm just hoping that that's correct. I'm sure Paul Schmoling, who, you know, he speaks a little bit. Weimar! <laughs> He'll probably come Why tell me. Why are you yelling? Too. I'm German! <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh, during this, despite this poor economy, Germany experienced a cultural renaissance in the 1920s. Uh, many people would spend most of their money in bars and clubs, especially in Berlin and Munich and the bigger cities, uh, expecting their money to be worthless the next day. So they would just have so much money. You know, they'd be like, well, I just need to go have fun with this. So jazz and cabaret became huge, and then other art became extremely popular. And along with this came a free love movement, and a drastic increase of drug use. And then during this time... Drugs many and sex? Yeah. That sounds like the place to be. I don't know. Yeah. So. Actually, fun fact, um, uh, oxycodone and morphine... I know oxycodone, and I believe morphine, too, and heroin were all uh, came from Germany at this time, from the German pharmaceutical companies. Well, you got to chill after you've done all that. <laughs> <stuff. laughs> yeah. So uh, during this time of cultural renaissance... Uh, many traditional Germans were very upset with this renaissance, believing that their country was becoming more Americanized by the influence of film and Hollywood and popular fashion from New York and that America was importing. Because at this time, uh, American banks from New York uh, were financing and loaning money to German businesses so they could stay in business. Otherwise, they would have collapsed. So a large part of the German economy was you know, really counted on the Americans. Well, in 1929, when the Great Depression hit America, the banks that had been loaning the German companies all their money, they withdrew the loans, and this led to even more mass unemployment. So yeah. it just, yeah, at, at this point in time, um, it, at the worst, at the worst, I should say, correct, at the worst point in time, $1, the, the exchange rate for like $1, it was like a billion Reichmarks. It was so bad. Goodness. Yeah, it was like people had like wheelbarrows of cash that was just worthless. There's like pictures and videos of people that were like using money, no, like you know, Reichsmark bills as just notepad paper because it was worthless to them. You had to have so much of it just to do a little thing because of the hyperinflation. So at this time, the Nazi Party came onto the political scene, and Hitler quickly ascended to the ranks through the ranks of the party thanks to his. Uh, manipulative public speaking. He was just a really, you know, shiny used car salesman style public speaker. If you've seen any of his speeches, he's very animated, very charismatic, and this appealed, and this and the Nazis' message appealed to the common working class. And then in 1922, the Nazi party, Hitler being one of the leading members, attempted a coup to try and take over the government, and it was quickly stopped, like very quickly stopped, and Hitler and his associates were arrested, charged with treason, and imprisoned. And then the Nazi party was officially banned by the government, but they continued to operate under a different name called German Party, which is kind of interesting. They well, didn't, they really, didn't go really go for anything like flashy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just were like, ah, we're the German Party now. And actually, I think it was, ah, I should, forgot to write it my, down in my notes. I think it was Goebbels or Hitler that kept the party going underneath the German you mean Goebbels? Goebbels or Gobbles? Did you just Goebbels? say Gobbles? Yeah, Gobbles. It, it's, it's, it's almost yeah. Thanksgiving. He probably gobbled a few, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's Goebbels for sure. I don't know. 
Yeah. Like I said, my German is not good. My English is okay. but No, I've only seen a, a few documentaries myself. That's the <laughs> I know. It certainly wasn't from the book I read. That's what <laughs> You read a book? <laughs> I told you, man. That's one of my life goals. No books from here on out. <laughs> Maybe we need to get you an Audible account so you can listen to books. <laughs> no, man. I still feel like I'm cheating. No, it's a <laughs> so anyways. No. <laughs> Sorry. No, no problem. Horrible friend. <laughs> in a uh, in prison, uh, Hitler wrote his book Mein Kampf, and then it was released. And then he was released only about after a year. I mean, that seems like a pretty lenient sentence. You for get arrested treason? for treason, and you get in prison for a year. I know a guy named Paul that got caught with a dime bag that spent six months. Yeah, dude <laughs> <laughs> gets treason, gets one year. Yeah, man. Usually, like, treason in most countries gets you, like, life. Like, like or death. Yeah. They just chop you up. Throw yeah. You, you know. So, uh, like, that's kind of, that's kind of, but, like, the government was kind of all over the place at that time. But once he was free, his book was out and being, you know, distributed. And then he convinced uh, the, somehow, this is how slimy this guy was, or how convincing he was. Uh, he convinced the government and the authorities to lift the ban on the Nazi party and let them become, you know, a, you know, part of the parliament again. And then he promised because he said, oh, I promise that, you know, we will no longer try to take power by force. And he said, you know, I, I'm going to take over the party. So then he set himself up as the undisputed leader of the Nazi party. I love how he just like, you know, to make this a lot smoother for me, I'm yeah. going to go ahead and just take over. Yeah. <laughs> We're all good? Okay. No questions? All right, moving on. Yeah, he kind of he kind of had a knack for doing that as you'll see here in a minute. Uh in the ensuing years up into, you know, the rest of the 20s into the 30s, um the Nazi party gained power and popularity with the people because he kept promising <laughs> this is one of the funniest things. He promised them that he would fix the economy, but he never said he never explained how. Oh, I'll fix it. How? And then uh, he said he would overturn the Treaty of Versailles, which was the treaty from World War I, which everybody hated. He also promised he would save Germany from communism, and then he would restore Germany to greatness. And then he also said that he was the only person that could do that. So he was a little bit full of himself. But the people bought into it because they were wheelbarrows of cash that was worthless. And well, you got to figure, starving. too, if all of a sudden here in the States nobody had money, or yeah, every or bit food. of money they had wasn't worth shit. Yeah. And there's a shortage of food. Yeah. People are going to want to hear what they want to hear. And people could say they're going to do it. You don't even care how they're going to do it. Yeah. They're just going to be, you know, I mean, like the general, the average person might, might just fall into that, like, well, they said they're going to, we don't know how anyone does anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so they don't, they, they don't worry about how. They just, that's what makes people like that sociopaths so dangerous is because they know how to manipulate. And say what people want to hear to get to whatever means they want to get to. Exactly. And, and actually, at this point, I think there was something around like ooh, four or six million unemployed. I'm thinking it was like six million people were unemployed. And if you think about that, there's a, in, back especially in the 30s, a good portion of those people were probably just men. So that was like men that were unemployed. And they probably, most of them had families. So there's probably a good, you know, 15 million people that, don't have a source of income you know 10 to 15 million people you know somewhere in there because you know everyone that wanted to work you know couldn't get work and if you've never actually been destitute 
I have. Uh, yeah. That can create a amount of desperation that you can't fathom unless you've been there. When you can't eat, yeah, like or you don't know when your next meal's coming, or like you can't feed your kids, that's where people snap. Yeah, it's like if you have kids at that point, there's a lot of people who are gonna drop any more any morals they ever had. Yeah, to try and keep their family, you know, taken care of, and that's that's what's scary about that kind of movement is they're taking advantage of people who are already in a desperate situation who are probably going to be at that point willing to do anything, join anything if it says it's going to solve the problem. And especially if it blames their problems on someone else other than themselves. Sounds right. And that's really it's what not was going our on. fault. Yeah. It's not our fault. Oh, the, the government betrayed us. We, you know, yeah, this whole thing. So then in 1932, Hitler ran for president, but lost to the decorated war hero, General von Hindenburg. He was a general from in World War I. And then despite this setback, Hitler and the Nazi party saw that they were within striking distance of their goals. You know, he only got like 30% of the vote, but he was like, hey, we're gaining popularity. Because like the first, you know, few years, they only made up like, you know, a small marginal percentage of the, you know, total votes and stuff they would get. But they saw that they were gaining popularity. So then the next year, for some, this is the thing. This is how bad it was. The next year, President von Hindenburg's advisors convinced him to appoint Hitler as the chancellor of Germany in the hopes that they could use Hitler's popularity to achieve their own goals. And it was also a way for them to keep him in check. If they right. bring him on board, they feel they were <coughs> feeling like they could have some control of Hitler, that he wasn't going to be able to do anything secretly to overthrow them, but, uh, you know, history tells. <laughs> history tells a different story. So um, during this time, Hitler, as the chancellor, <coughs> worked out ways to expand his power as chancellor, and he also grew the Nazi party's power and support, and he formed many paramilitary groups. Th this, is, this is how manipulative he was. He formed these paramilitary groups that would start fights with protesters and then he would use that to sow seeds of fear about a communist uprising and then claiming again that he was the only person capable of restoring law and order. So he was sending out. Yeah, because he could just make a couple, you know, make a phone call and shut them down. Yeah. And then look like the hero. Yeah. So he was he was starting fights and then ending them saying, look, I'm the only person that can fix this problem. So the people bought into it because they were desperate and, you know. They just wanted an answer. They wanted everything to be over. And they were uh, humiliated. They felt like their culture was humiliated. And they, oh, wanted, yeah, they, they wanted to get it back on top. And yeah, that's they, exactly what he, that's all he talked about was that Germany was going to be, you know, it. Yeah. And so, but so. the, you know, the sad truth is, is like over time for a lot of people that don't know a lot of the history, he came through on a lot of that stuff. He just did it all the wrong way, man. He yeah. Was, yeah. We won't get into, a lot of the stuff we're getting into, we're, I'm just giving you like a, a build up to how he came to power. And then we're going to go into a more lesser known topic because, you know, World War II is so big and expansive of a subject. We could probably do 20 episodes and still not touch everything that I find interesting or want to talk about. But we'll save that all for another time because really there's so much to talk about. It's it's because it's not just that. There's the Japanese, too. I do want to do an episode on the Japanese perspective of, of World War II because that never gets talked about. I've only seen a couple things about that from that perspective. I just think that would be interesting to explore. I've done a little bit of research on it already, and already I'm like, wow, this is pretty interesting. 
Um, you know, not saying it was justified, just, you know, interesting. <coughs> so on February 27th, 1933, someone lit fire to the German parliament building, the Reichstag. And Hitler blamed it on a communist conspiracy, saying that a group of communists set the fire. And then because of this fire, he convinced President Hindenburg to grant him emergency powers. And then through that, him he pressured Hindenburg to suspend many civil liberties, such as freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, uh, freedom of privacy. And actually, the first one of the, it was like one of the first things they did was take control of the press. Like they just was like all press was government controlled, like very, very quickly within like a month or two. And so then they can control the information that the people heard. So then they also immediately legalized phone tapping, intercepting mail, and then forced other political parties to disband and then started instituting anti-Jewish laws. And that was before, I mean, this was even before Hitler was the dictator. And then because of the fire, <coughs> five men were rounded up and arrested for the fire. And that, that was said at the Reichstag. But only uh, one was convicted. The other four were released. And he confessed to setting the fire and then was executed. I, I wonder, was that like a legit confession or was that under duress? Think about that. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> and if then, he was wanting to die. Yeah. You know. And then actually, it's, it seems really lucky to me that uh, just when Hitler needed some momentum to like take more control a fire breaks out at like this big public place that could be a symbol for the Nazi party to gain more power. And he used it as justification. And actually there's a video on YouTube where at the Nuremberg trials after the war, um, there's a, Oh, I forget his name. There was a Nazi, a guy in the Nazi party. I forget his name, but he's talking about Goring, the, the commander of the Luftwaffe. And this guy claims that Goring hired or got arranged for some people to start that fire and so there's no real proof of it but i tend to think that that's probably true that hitler and his cronies had somebody start that fire because they needed something like that because you know while yes it could have been this lone guy by well himself, he already had the track history of of starting yeah of starting to, stuff. to get his means so that's not yeah. a far driving let's let's cut through the shit he did it like yeah like, yeah it's you can't may not be able to prove it but come on yeah you know it's i i tend to think that when he i see the wink orchestrated that. smile like in uh bill clinton's eye yeah deny it all i want but that little smirk you make <laughs> yeah it happened dude he's a little too happy in that video yeah. but uh yeah so it's probably the same type of thing but and that's what it was it's just ways to manipulate and you got to figure this is before the internet so if yeah. you control the media, you literally control all input that people get. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless it's underground. And so, you know, it, even if you could, it, it would crawl to snail space compared to now. Oh, yeah. Now it's instant. You know what I mean? Yeah. If there was a wrong, it can be corrected, like, or at least disputed instantly. Back right. then, it wouldn't have happened. And even yeah. if it had, you would have probably been penalized so greatly, it wouldn't have been worth it. Exactly. Yeah. And then after this fire, <clears throat> Hitler used this. This is nuts. He rounded up many of his most radical supporters, arrested them, and killed them. And then along with some of his most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? With some of his, uh, you know, strongest political opponents. So he just cleaned house with anybody that he felt threatened by. Because he didn't want any, any political backlash. He didn't want anybody speaking out against him. 
So it was very troublesome. And he didn't time. want any aspiring young Hitlers to take his space. Exactly. So he's like, and I'll the, just whack y'all. Yeah, and then the following year in 1934, President Hindenburg died, and then everybody realized that, oh, hey, there's not going to be any uh, elections. And then Hitler consolidated all of his power and set himself up as the undisputed dictator of Germany. So the same way he became the leader of the Nazi party, he took over the government. It was a peaceful takeover. Well, sort of. On the face, it was a peaceful takeover. But behind the scenes, there was a lot of bloodshed and I'm sure a bunch of other stuff. (laughs) So using his aptitude for public speaking, Hitler played on the fears and desires of the German people to gain more power without the need of overwhelming force. He didn't need to build an army and take the capital. He just kind of through, you know, through his his promise of not taking it by force, he did that. He did it without taking it by force. I mean, he did some shady stuff, but it was You know what made it. him so scary too was the public speaking was I you know, it, he would say all the right things, but to me what made it scary was the way he moved. He was so angry. Yeah. Like he was such an angry little man. Yeah. Like he was kind of, the way he would move it, he would snap and he'd talk and he'd bounce his head and, you know, like that. And yeah. you're just like, oh my. Like as a kid, I I, I would look at him like if, if he was the dad, that's not the dad you want to interrupt because I would kill you. And then like you're just dead because you asked, you know, like, can you look at my report card? Yeah. So he was scary in the sense that it was like he was so intense. Yeah. That it was kind of like, ooh, I'm, I'm sure people felt like, gosh, join him or be scared. Yeah. Because like he's just going to, and you know, with his history already, I mean, it doesn't take. Listen, they all knew he was crazy. Look at it. Look at the videos. Nobody yeah. sane watches that. You ever watch it in silent? Yeah. You're like, oh, that's a crazy motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but that, that's, he's a killer. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think people are as ignorant as people think. I don't think that people didn't know that he was bad news. They were scared into, it's like he's a, he was the ultimate bully. Yeah. The ultimate bully. Lie, cheat, steal, do whatever it take, kill to get you know what he wants by fear. He yeah. always used fear. That's yeah. why, you know, they would do all those like marches and stuff and show their force. He was always trying to make the biggest, scariest weapons just to literally scare you into retreat. You know, he used a lot of fear as a way to, and then use fear like to take over. That's why. How do you think he walked in and just did that? Because people were scared of him already. Yeah. Because he had and so then, much pull. Yeah, he had the power of the people behind him because he was making all these promises and they needed somebody to come through for them. And at that point, they it was so bad. They just didn't care who. They just wanted somebody to represent them and make life better. They did not care who. It's like when the modern bankers tell you, oh, I'm going to make you all this money and then they end up fucking and taking it all. Yeah. You know, but people, when they say what you want to hear, people give everything they got. Mm-hmm. And we're still doing it today. That's another example of it. I mean, it might be a different and very far-reaching version of it, but then they're standing there dry like, what happened? Yeah. You trusted the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, still ha- it's been happening for thousands of years, and it still happens, and it's going to continue to happen because there's always going to be people out there that are going to take advantage of other people that are scared or are destitute or need you know, some sort of help. Listen, I always need help, and I just figure, you know what? I got in this fucked up situation, uh, so I'm probably going to try and get out of this fucked up situation the same way I got <laughs> in it. Because uh, I don't think anyone else is going to fuck it up any better than me anyway. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
So uh, that brings us to that brings us to the the second half of today's topic. So that was how you know Hitler came to power. A brief explanation of how Hitler came to power. It you know, you know yeah they did have cool looking uniforms, but it was a lot of propaganda and a lot of just you know coercion and just taking advantage of you know people who were just desperate. Really, well, just, like you said too, when they were worried about American influence through the movies. Yeah. That's why they made propaganda films and things like that. Yeah. They needed a replacement, and then they could send their message. And the power of media has, I don't know if, I'm sure there's been a lot of research done it, but the power of media to a people is incredible. That's why people in real situations of power are very concerned about where they stand in that media, yeah. because, or, you know, in that platform, because it can make or break. Yeah. It can make the wrong person, such as him, become a world, you know, dictator. Yeah. Uh, and then the world right power hands. there for a little bit. R- literally, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and you know, hopefully someday it gets in the good hands. Yeah. So this is you know the next part. So um, this is something that you won't find in most history books. Uh, you don't need to dig very deeply. You can go search you know this up. You can find documentaries, but you can find a book about it. There's a book called Blitzed, and it's incredibly good. It's written by a German author, which I forgot his name, Norman Oler, I believe it is. Really, really good book. I highly recommend it to anybody out there. It's very well done, very informative, very easy to read. Uh, it's oh, not thank like you a, for us simpletons. <laughs> it's not a heavy book. and it's Are there it, pictures? <laughs> no, there's no pictures. But Do they pop up? No? Okay. <laughs> it's not a pop-up book. Why did Mark freeze? Oh, whoa, he... Dude, oh, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> Holy shit. Dude. <laughs> they will know now. Oh, damn. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. He was ruled by Satan. <laughs> oh, jeez. No, what happened was I looked down, right? It, yeah, and it looked like it glitched because you were focused on something. You were hold, you were holding still. It looked so it looked like it glitched. And I'm like tapping the screen. Yeah, it's not moving. And then all of a sudden you moved, and I was like, yeah. And then the demon came out. <laughs> that was hilarious. That's when you're old, man. When you're old is when like bodily functions happy and they surprise you. Yeah, <laughs> like oh man, I didn't know I was gonna shit myself. <laughs> I thought I was done peeing five minutes ago. Apparently not. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah, and then when it's freezing, you don't want your pants to freeze. No. Yeah. Especially actually, not if you're uncircumcised because you were born in a third world country. <laughs> so listen. Okay, that adds a lot of time to try and find the actual hole, man, before the shit goes wrong. <laughs> you might have a spray that'll go any direction. <laughs> Point down and shoot yourself in the eye. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fucking horrible. You can spray eight friends at once. It just goes off in every direction. <laughs> Swear to God, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. So back to uh, World War II. <laughs> Real quick before we get back into this today's topic. Um, for the listeners out there, this is just really <laughs> funny. Juan is in Michigan right now. And he said it's like, what, 32 degrees? In it's like 32 in here right now. And he's wearing like two jackets and a and a beanie and he's all bundled up. And it today the high was like seventy five, I think. And it was in in here it's like seventy three right now. And I'm Do you sweating. have the air running? 
Yeah, I do have the air running because I'm oh. sweating. Fuck you very much. <laughs> Houston. <laughs> it's not I like t- this all winter, but it is like this sometimes. No, I think I don't know if I told you, but the other day, like I was in really bad pain, and yeah. uh, I actually will take showers and stuff, try to help with the pain, whatever. I ended up, uh, but I wasn't sleeping, so I figured fine, I might as well do something because I can't sleep. So I was doing laundry. I set. I have a chair in there that I set in to like fold shit. Yeah. I fell asleep in it, and uh, apparently I was getting dressed during that period. Uh, so when I woke up, my <laughs> my my underwear were at my knees, like I was sitting on a toilet, and I had fallen asleep, slumped over, and like one of my kids came in and woke me up. <laughs> but I realized after they woke me up that I had the dryer running. Yeah. That dry heat. I got up and I was able to stand right up and pull those little pants up. <laughs> and uh I wasn't in that much pain. Oh, and then I'm like the heat. I need to move to Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> or something. Now I know why why us old folks gotta move south. Yeah. But to like the dry south. Yeah. I don't know, I wouldn't like that though. I should rather be in the in the wet the south. The wet south, like over here, where you're just Wrapped in a warm, moist blanket all the time in the summer. It's funny because like people complain about it, and I don't mind. Like I got used to it, and I really don't care. I didn't. I didn't mind the heat when I was there, except for like I had to learn like you can't ever go barefoot. You can't oh, no. touch metal. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, when I was a kid, it's like oh, dark means hot. <laughs> <laughs> dark. Don't touch anything with your tongue ever. Yeah. <laughs> True. We used to spit on metal and watch it sizzle. You yep. know, it's like, yeah. We used to, oh, yeah, when you're a kid in the South, and you've all done it, don't lie. You all peed on some shit. Yep. Just to go like, oh, God, what's that smell? It's awesome. That's awesome. You're like eight. You're like, watch me pee. It, it stinks really bad. Watch this. <laughs> that, that was my childhood in Biloxi. <laughs> Trying to find hot metal shit to pee on. <laughs> Turn into steam. <laughs> Okay. That's so messed up. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Okay. So now we're going to get back into this. Um, we are <laughs> going to talk about mainly about a man named Dr. Theodore Morell. Ever heard of him? You mean like the guy that named Morell uh, Mushrooms? No. <laughs> no, this is not Theodore The guy Morell. that developed the sex machine? No. <laughs> no? Nope. Uh, Dr. Morrell was a German. Uh, supposedly, he was half Jewish German. Uh, if he was, that would be another ironic half Jewish person that escaped the Jewish Holocaust in Germany, which is really awful and sad. Uh, actually, side note on the Holocaust. My uncle has a documentary on the Holocaust. It's like eight parts. It's like eight hours long. I made it through the first episode. I got halfway through the second episode, and I couldn't finish watching it. It was just so... like. I I mean, everybody, everybody that isn't, this is the thing that irritates me, or I don't, maybe not irritates me, I just can't believe, there's people out there that think the Holocaust didn't happen, like, there's Holocaust (laughs) deniers out there, and I'm like, there's enough proof, and then I personally have met someone who was in a concentration camp, I have met a person who met Hitler, and then he politically opposed Hitler, and he was put in a concentration camp, and by a miracle, he survived the war. Wow. Yeah, so I have I've, a couple of friends that were, uh, yeah. that were, uh, you know, chased by Hitler during World War II and survived. One of them was a book about him. It was called The Seventh Escape. His name was Walter Leger, and he escaped uh, concentration camps seven times. Wow! And he lived. Yeah. He ended up living, and I, he was a friend of mine until he died. 
And, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, because in Detroit we actually have, I think it's the only one, it's the Holocaust Museum. And mm-hmm. I'm, te- I'm telling you, they, and it's good, they take a lot of the kids in the schools there through that. Uh, because if you, you, you go through that place, and that's, that sets you into a, a correct understanding of how awful that really was. Because yeah. there's, uh, if if you can walk through there and then deny the Holocaust, you're just a sick bastard. Like, you're come just, on. Yeah, there's one here in Houston. There's a Holocaust museum here in Houston. I have not been there because they were renovating it last time I tried to go. But I did go to the Holocaust museum in Jerusalem in Israel. Talk about something heartbreaking. That was like, it, I'm very glad I went, but that just basically killed the rest of the day. Like, I didn't want to do anything for the rest of the day. I was just like, wow, everything it was just so heavy. But anyways, <coughs> this... Yeah, that's uh, like when we went to those, those slave Yeah, like thing. the slave castles yeah. in Africa. Oh, gosh, that's some depressing <laughs> shit, man. Yeah. The worst part is they're up top just praising Jesus. Yeah. Meanwhile, everyone else downstairs dying and suffering. Yeah. It's like, what the... I don't know. I'm not going to get on that whole topic, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah. So anyways, uh, Theodore Morrell, Dr. Theodore Morrell... Uh, who was a, he was an actual medical doctor, but he was known for treating skin ailments and venereal diseases in Berlin. And he married Hanelore. Okay, I'm probably going to butcher her name. I'm trying my best. Hanelore Moller. And she was a famous actress in Germany at that time. So he used his, her fortune to equip his medical office in his medical office was on like the main boulevard in downtown berlin and he used it to get like the most up-to-date high-tech equipment and the best of everything in there in berlin and then he uh basically he tried to aim for all of like the actors and the rich and wealthy so he was like a doctor to the rich and wealthy people so he was very well off thanks to his wife's fortune helping him build that. So he well, was got known... a couple crabs, a little itch, a little, you know, here's something <laughs> yeah. a little here and there. <laughs> yeah. He was known as a jovial, fat, and very sweaty man. Herman Goring and one of the other guys, I think it was Gobbles, Gerbils. Yeah. Uh, they, they said he just smelled awful because he was sweaty and his B.O. was terrible. They couldn't stand him just because he smelled so bad because of his B.O. But, uh, Actually, Morel joined the Nazi party in 1933 when they came to power because he was afraid of being labeled a Jew. And he also did it so he could gain more prestigious clients. So he wasn't like necessarily all gung-ho about the Nazi party. He just did it. He was an opportunistic man, and he just did it to further his career and avoid having like a negative, you know, magnifying glass put onto it. Well, and people have to understand, too, at this time, they did not know the future. Okay, right. we're, we're listening to this history from uh, you know the other end of history. Yeah. These people didn't know exactly what was going to happen, so you know you can't hold everyone. You know, and listen, uh, people can say whatever they want, but uh, when it gets to the point to where your life is on the line, there's a lot of people who swear they're never going to fold for anything, who are yeah. just going to throw in the towel. Yeah. And if it meant to hide your identity to save your life, yep, I'm going to say a good majority of people probably do. You know oh, what I mean? So, you know, let's not, like, go hate on everybody who ever had any contact because right. they didn't know. Yeah, right. So, um, so later, Morel met Hitler through Hitler's personal photographer. And when Hitler and him met, Hitler had, was telling uh, Morel that he had been suffering from severe stomach cramps 
uh, Hitler was a vegetarian, and he really liked beans and green salad. Funny side note, um, his favorite dish was a green salad, and the last thing to give me food poisoning was a green salad. So now I just call green salad Hitler salad because I almost died. <laughs> but it's a joke. Okay, so but since he really liked beans, due to this high intake of beans, he had chronic bad gas and cramps, and Hitler also had a really bad teeth, and he had really bad breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and he smoked too. He quit smoking after it was before or after he went to prison. So he did smoke when he was like going through World War One, and then up until like his thirties and then thirties or forties, and then he quit smoking. Yeah, I was gonna say because I thought I saw photographs of him or video of him smoking, and yeah. then I never I see all this one where he's not, and I'm like, okay, look, either you smoke or you don't. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, right. he actually, um, his fiance for like fourteen years, Ava Brown. He, um, she smoked and he told her, you know, my way, my way of the highway, you're quitting smoking or, you know, you, you know, you're done. So, uh, she quit smoking because he forced her to, after he became like the de facto dictator of Germany, he got really big into his image. He wanted to appear appealing to everybody and he was really high, high and mighty on himself. So he didn't eat meat. He didn't smoke and he didn't drink. And this was, like, something that he would, like, talk about a lot. But uh, for this chronic, you know, stomach cramps, Morel had some probiotics. But back in the day, probiotic, this is disgusting. Mor- <laughs> they would get, I don't know how, but they would get these live cultures from enlisted soldiers' poop. And they would take the good bacteria out of that and then you know, give it as a healthy life probiotic. To I take probiotics every day, but it's not from, you know, soldier poop. <laughs> but Morel gave him some probiotics and some vitamins and then also treated one, a leg rash that Hitler had. So uh, the next day, Hitler came back and said, hey, you know, the rash and the stomach cramps are gone. And so then Hitler said, hey, Morel is a medical genius. And he said, you know what? I want you to come and be my personal doctor. Leave your practice in Berlin and just come be my doctor, go wherever I go. So he agreed to that. He was a very opportunistic person, and he thought, you know what? I probably got, most... got offered a huge paycheck for that. Yeah, actually, he didn't, ironically. What? He made less being his, Hitler's um, personal doctor than he did at his uh, medical practice. Oh, so nowadays, nobody would make that move. <laughs> no, but the, the, the interesting thing is uh, he... Hitler promised him he would buy him a villa. And so after he, if he became his, you know, personal doctor and he didn't buy, after he agreed to it, he didn't buy him a personal villa. He gave him like a government loan. And then it was this huge villa. And so on the salary that he got from Hitler, he couldn't, he could barely afford, he really couldn't afford on his own. He couldn't afford the villa and he couldn't afford the servants and the cooks and everything to take care of it. So he was trying to find other ways to make money. And he was also having to like use some of his wife's money because he had this giant house, but on his lower salary, he couldn't afford it anymore. And Hitler didn't buy it for him. Hitler was like, here, you have to pay for some of this. Like he gave him like a loan up to a certain amount and then he had to pay for the rest. So Hitler kind of screwed him over there. But did he protest? No, because why? He probably freaking terrified. <laughs> like I wouldn't want to be like, hey, you know that house you said you were going to buy for me? Um, what what's this loan thing? <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
So how would be how, like if Jeffrey Dahmer had like you know a lien on your house? Yeah, <laughs> like I'm probably not going to complain much. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Hitler then recommended Dr. Morrell to all his other high-ranking you know generals and you know politicians and members of the Nazi Party. People but with venereal diseases. <laughs> yeah, but they considered him a quack or a snake oil salesman. And they dismissed the recommendation. And actually, one of his uh, guys, Hitler's staff, um, Hitler kept insisting that he should go to Morrell, but the uh, guy didn't trust Morrell. And he was having the same issue that Hitler did. And he figured out that Morrell was just giving him probiotics. So he went and got probiotics on his own and gave them to himself and then lied to Hitler and said, oh, yeah, I went to Morrell and he cured me. But he didn't trust Morrell. He was like, I am not talking to that creepy doctor. I will find my own poop source. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how, do you, how do you do that? This dude must have really been connected. Yeah. <laughs> like, who's, who's going to take this job? Who's going through the poop? <laughs> I'll do this behind Hitler's back. You can find out. you probably going to die, but uh, I don't trust this doctor. Somebody did that. Yeah. So he must have had some pretty good pull, too. Yeah. I can't even get my... My sister came over the other day and shooting and clean up a piece of dog poop. She's like, I can't, I, 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 I can't do it. So I'm not asking you to make probiotics. Just pick it up. Jeez. I had to come out like some kind of superhero, like with gloves on, like, don't worry, daddy's got this. I'll go ahead and clean this shit up because that's what all I do all day is clean shit up. Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, during uh, the ultimately failed invasion of Russia, Hitler had a fight with his generals because they were beginning to be pushed back by the insane, you know, insanely massive numbers of Russians coming against them. And Hitler was upset from this fight. And so he called Morell in and said, hey, my head is spinning. So this is how this Dr. Morell guy. So to try and cure his head spinning, his dizziness, he got leeches and put them on Hitler's temples. I don't know why they didn't trust him. <laughs> it's like the minute I see leeches coming, like you quack motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> that's like Middle Ages, like thirteen hundreds. You know, like well, I mean, I, I know that they're used for some things. You know, like like cleaning an infection. Okay, that makes logical sense. Yeah, but not Just throwing leeches on my eyebrows. It's like <laughs> so. He, when that didn't work, he just started giving him. He gave him some barbiturates to like you know calm him down and put him to sleep. Okay, one question I have though. You yeah. said he got really concerned about his image and everything, and like, yeah, you know, and well, where'd he come up with that mustache? Was that because when you no, listen, man, when you think about it, I don't know another mustache like that in history. Like, was exactly. he just taking a gamble one day with a razor? Like, fuck it, I'm doing this shit. <laughs> They're gonna. I'm gonna own this look now. Like he fucked up. Like I. So he was so concerned. I was just like, but why that? Because now it's. But here's the thing. It's so fucked up to. Because to, to this day, yeah. Nobody can wear that look. Oh no, nobody ever. Will you want are to. never getting laid. <laughs> yeah. So a Hitler stash on. You're gonna get your ass beat just on a regular. Yeah. Like, Try going to the grocery store with one of those. You will get beat up in the parking lot. It's crazy! It's crazy. Yeah, that his his that he had that much. There's that much attached to this one person. Yeah, this doctor though, man, this guy's even quackier than him. Yeah, 
Well, it gets it gets crazier, dude. It really does. So, um, so then <laughs> later on, because of the barbiturates, Hitler would wake up very tired and groggy, and also because of his, have, because of his heavy workload. Like Hitler didn't have a lot of sleep at night because oh, he was sure. working so much because he's controlling everything. He's trying to take over the world. <laughs> yeah, he's like Brandon <laughs> so, Stimpy, but he's not playing. <laughs> so, uh, Morel then we gave him began to give him regular injections of uh, a medicine which Morel had concocted, which he called Vitamulin. It was a little packet that he would mix with water, and he would give him an injection of it. And so every time he did, Hitler would have lots of energy and say, oh, I feel so refreshed. And then he would go, you know, do his dictator eating stuff and then, you know, come back and be like, oh, I'm so wired and stressed out and upset. I need to go to sleep. And then he'd give him more barbiturates and he'd crash. So this See, Michael Jackson should have studied this shit, man. <laughs> and all the people that knew Bill Cosby. Yep. So <laughs> at, at, not too long after this, um, Hitler thought this Vitamulin stuff was like the best thing that ever happened to him. So he was giving out packets to everybody, but people weren't taking it because they were like, this quack doctor made this stuff up. We don't want this. And he gave it to Heinrich Himmler, the commander of the SS. And so he turned it over to the SS and he said, test this, find out what's in it. Meth was in it. What? Yep. That explains the teeth. <laughs> yep. So... At this time, but it wasn't it wasn't like full blown meth. It was like a little bit of meth, so it was enough for like a little pick me up. A little pick me. I'm not gonna eat your face, but I'm probably gonna be really animated when I go up on stage right now. <laughs> so that's why. It's okay, now now knowing this, now I'm going through the videos in my in my mind of yeah. watching him. Yeah, because he's. Just jacked up on meth. Yeah. <laughs> so at this time, and you know, Hitler was really pushing his image as a clean and healthy person, or as he they called it like a teetotaler. No drinking, no meat, no alcohol. You don't and need that shit when you're on meth. <laughs> so he made it a point. <laughs> you don't even gotta struggle with those other addictions because all you want is meth. <laughs> God dang. So he made it a point to tell the German people, like, it was a big propaganda thing for him. Don't eat. I don't eat meat. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I just do the, math. <laughs> so the master race <laughs> shouldn't eat. <laughs> so then because of this, this is insane. The government passed laws prohibiting drug use. They were big time against drug against drugs. Um, they were condemning drug users, and they said, in the, according to their propaganda, drugs, being a drug user and a drug dealer was equally as bad as being a Jew or a homosexual. Like, th there was lots of <coughs> drug use. If you were caught doing drugs, they'd just ship you off to a concentration camp because that was considered poisonous to the culture. Meanwhile, <laughs> he's up there jacked up on meth. Right. Jeez. And also, Hitler was half Jewish. So, like, Hitler was very, very... You know, well, he was things. actually half. I believe so. That's... I might have to double check that, but I believe he was. I'm not 100 sure. When people sure, say that you need to love yourself, yeah. you really do, because that is some messed up shit. Yeah. Uh, don't don't like hold me to that. I'll have to like double check on that. But I believe over the years in one of my some of my you know just reading on my own, I believe he was half Jewish. 
But anyways, Hitler, uh, this is insane. Hitler even claimed that drugs came from, were made by, and mostly used by Jews. So he was just a gigantic hypocrite. I'm going to be really honest with you. I have never known a Jew drug addict in my entire life. Like, <laughs> no, man. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, so, except apparently Hitler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man, you talk about the pot calling the kettle black, that old, like, saying. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Morell was really not popular with Hitler's staff at this point in time. And he, this is insane. He always wanted to be a military man, but he was a civilian. But he he was, you know, surrounded by all these other men in Hitler's staff and generals and stuff and military, and they all had military uniforms. And Morell wanted one, but he couldn't have one because he was a civilian. He made requests for one, but everyone just kind of laughed at him. It's they like, like, I want to look cool too. Exactly. He wanted to look cool. And they were like, what? No, you're you're just the doctor. You don't get a uniform. So instead, he made one on his own, but it was really janky and looked really funny. And then he even put an SS emblem on his belt buckle and the lapels of his jacket. And the SS found out about it, and they were pissed. And they came to him, and they were like, hey, guess what? You're not a member of the SS, so take that stuff off right now. He even made fake, like, bars, you know, like the decorated bars to show, like, accomplishments? He even made fake one of those, some of those for his fake uniform. And Hitler trusted this guy with his life. Why don't the bad people die, right? Why isn't he part of the 27 group? What the fuck? He even had this quack-ass doctor out making up his own. I, this is real? Yes. This is real. Real research. Okay, they found this because this Dr. Morell took meticulous records he had journals and he wrote down this stuff wow so this all comes from the doctor's own writings never mind taking care of hitler today i gotta work on this fake uniform what (laughs) so (laughs) since he was fat and smelly and sweaty and then he had a fake uniform everybody made fun of him like all of hitler's staff all of the military guys they just mocked him not when hitler was around but they would just mock him, like to his face. They hated him. So being also being Hitler's personal doctor made him become really lazy because he didn't have to do much of anything. All he had to do was I gotta just feel more meth. Yeah. So a bad day. Meth so up. He became really lazy, and um, Hermann Göring called him the Reich Marshal of injections. <laughs> because that's all he did was just go give Hitler an injection. But all of the injections uh, were always kept from the public. Like, that was never told to, you know. That was Hitler's not going to complain because he's hooked. Right. So then, actually, shifting gears here a little bit, it gets it's it's a bit more pervasive than just Dr. Morrell. Okay, so, kids, so the lesson here is if you're ever going to grow up and you're trying to decide, what should I do in college? Um, Depending on your morality, you might want to be a doctor. It's probably going to help. I used to think it was just that. Doctors would make money and then girls would like them because they're like, I'm a doctor. But now mm-hmm. I'm realizing, no, there's a lot more to it. So uh, for our sickest listeners, uh, you should be like something else. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So shifting years for a minute. Uh, in the late 1930s, while the German military was, you know, they were building, secretly building back up the military, developing an air force, building all these armaments, you know, uh, 
they were developing this idea of the Blitzkrieg method of war, uh, which was, you know, the Blitzkrieg method of war is, well, actually, I'll go that, I'll go on to that here in a minute. Um, actually, so there was a German pharmaceutical company called Temmler, and they developed a new medicine called Pervitin. And it was marketed like a cup of coffee. It was like a pickup in the morning. And then it was also like I went through and found like the they have like ads, right. like pictures of the ads for this. And it's like a cure-all. It, you know, helps frigidity in women and libido in men and, you know, everything. It's just a fix-all for everything. It was marketed like it would fix all your problems. So it was soon like widely used amongst all of the – most of the German population. And it helped – its most notable effects were it helped keep people awake and it calmed the nerves when you were nervous or, you know, afraid and stuff like that. And a lot of like people who had stage fright and stuff, they would use that because like, oh, I'm nervous and stuff and it would calm you down and help keep you awake. So after testing this, the German military ordered after the invasion of Poland. No, they ordered some before the invasion of Poland, but before the invasion of France, the German military or the Wehrmacht, the German army, or the Wehrmacht. I don't know how to say that correctly, but it's one of those. Uh, they ordered 35 million pills. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Who's the so, drug dealer now? That was their initial <laughs> order, was 35 million. By the end of the war, they had ordered almost a billion. What's in this shit, man? I gotta know. So, in reality, Pervitin was crystal meth. It was meth. Yep. And it that was is terrifying. Can you imagine that? Even to this day, just yeah. a whole bunch of people on. That's horrifying. Right. And here's so, the thing. You get in a fight with them, they're not going to stop. Nope. They would They would tell the people, uh, they, they would tell their soldiers, you know, actually, I'll get into that in a second. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. Uh, the Blitzkrieg Doctrine, which I mentioned earlier, is emphasized using they emphasize using speed and intense force to bring a quick victory so you can minimize casualties so you just send a bunch of people at one small spot and you push on through and you keep going and you don't like stop to rest you don't stop to like regroup you just keep going and you just blitz past all of the opposition you go and capture key bridges and supply depots and stuff and you leave the other army in the dust and so they started germany started mechanizing their infantry infantry so everybody had like flatbed carts. Like some at that point, they still had some where like they had carts with horses and stuff. But for the invasion of Poland, they were using Pervitin and it was working well. And then when they were going to invade France, the German generals were like, hey, they, f they had this plan. They were like, OK, the French had built what is called the Maginot Line. It was a line of just concrete um, fortifications from the between the French and the Germans on the border. And they built this after World War I because they were afraid Germany might invade again. But that Maginot Line only was between France and Germany. So, so go around the bitch. <laughs> so the, the, the Germans were like, well, if we just invade Belgium, we can just go down and walk through into for France. But they figured out that they would need their troops to stay awake for three days to get through Belgium. To, they didn't want their tanks and their men to stop. They just wanted them to drive straight for three days without sleep. And they were like, well, we need them to march through Belgium and then go down past the Maginot Line into France. They said, well, we'll just use Pervitin. It'll be perfect. It keeps people awake and it'll keep, you know, everybody 
good for up to three days. So this gave them the huge the advantage. march? Yep. They were now meth troopers. That is scary. Yeah. So they... <coughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. They realized Pervitin was perfect for this, and it worked perfectly well. They sped through. The enemy lines couldn't cut them off. They dashed on through into France, and then... This is nuts. That April, the German military announced a stimulant decree, meaning that all of the, uh, they ordered more of the Pervitin, and they said all of our troops have to have this stuff on them at all times. And so guys would have these packets of these pills, and they were given like instructions on, you know, at, at dusk you take two, and then at midnight you take one more, and then in the morning if you still need to be awake, you take another one. And so these guys were staying up for like three to four days at a time, just straight, because they were just meth, just like meth troopers. I, that yeah. is nuts. Yeah. So then. Nobody is- was like, I wonder what's in this shit. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this doesn't really seem like it's probably good for my body. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a doctor or anything. I'm not throwing <laughs> leeches on people's faces or anything, but I feel like this might not be really healthy for me. How about you? No, you're fine with it? You too? Oh, yeah. I guess I'm just a dumbass. Give me that shit. <laughs> I'm fainting. <laughs> Sorry, you, you only get like 30 seconds of clarity on a meth run, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. They began running. So then the military, the German Navy and the Luftwaffe, the Air Force, began uh, running tests. And they were giving Pervitin to the pirate, p- pirates, to the pilots and to the, you know, the seamen on the German Navy. Did you they say pirates and seamen? Yeah, I did. You just literally <laughs> referred to every podcast we ever had. I, yep. <laughs> except now that you said that we're on this subject, uh, I'm picturing the pirates, the seamen, and the Luftwaffe, all just jacked up on meth. And uh, <laughs> that makes this possibly my favorite podcast of all time. Just <laughs> a bunch of pirates just big out. You know? <laughs> I'm not coming down with I run out of gas or not. I'm flying this bitch. <laughs> so, the, okay. So then later on at the end of the war in 1944, just to give you an idea of what, how the, the German leadership was doing. This is nuts. <coughs> so later on, the German Navy, they had built these small two-man submarines. They were essentially torpedoes. And it was one to two men. They had a couple different types. And they were they were they had this plan. They said, We will send these across the channel into the River Thames estuary and to British ports. And they were going supposed to go attack ships because the plan for this was to go sink all the ships that they were expecting the Allies to use for the D-Day invasion. So they had this plan. But these torpedoes were small and slow, and they needed a drug sm- stronger than Pervitin to keep the, sub- the, the submarines, one or two crew members awake. Get this. They said, we need a drug that will keep somebody awake for between four to seven days. What? So... They got in touch with the pharmaceutical companies and they said, we need a super drug. And they came up with one super drug and it was one third opioids, one third meth and one third cocaine. 
So, uh, can I get a script or what are we doing? <laughs> 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 I was like, so then, that is a super drunk. I don't know. That's probably, I don't know where it's going, but, uh, right now I'd sign up. I don't know that. I, I guess I'll have to hear the history now to find out. If so they didn't have look. time to test these drugs. What? So they, just, they had this drug manufactured and then they got a bunch of, uh, 16 to 18 year old boys essentially to sign up for this mission and they told them you're going to do some special mission for the Fuhrer. you're going to pilot this sub and you're going to go sink these boats so they gave them this drug put these guys in the submarines and sent them out to do this mission and all of them started having crazy hallucinations That's most what of them say. became most of them became physically sick to the point where they couldn't they couldn't move they were just like writhing in pain and just miserable, like their body was just revolting against itself. So this left most of the sailors completely incapable of operating the subs. Actually, in the book, there's an excerpt from a diary of a guy who survived this, and his account of it is terrifying. That's so, like, I was thinking, wait a minute, but you can't give that and then tell someone they're going to go have a mission. Right. There's so, no mission with any of those other than standing in a corner. Right. So Maybe most laying on the floor. Most of the young sailors died. Yeah. They just died in the subs. They, their bodies couldn't handle it, and they died. So they still wanted a new wonder drug. So they kept testing for more wonder drugs. So but they to, were, Oh, they just consider this just a, a bump in the road or something? Yeah. They were wow. like, well, we need, we need more drugs. We need a super drug, but we need one that's not going to kill our soldiers. So then they said, well. They needed some time to do some research. So they said, well, where can we do research? And one guy said, hey, we can just go to concentration camps. So they went to a concentration camp in Germany. And any prisoner that was being punished, which was around to 160 a day, they would uh, give them. Oh, my goodness. This is so awful. They would give them large backpacks, fill them with stones, about 25 pounds each, and then make them start walking at 8 p.m. and they would inject them with different doses of this of their new super drugs, and then they would make them walk between 40 and 60 kilometers through the night. Some a lot of the times it was for 24 hours, and then they would see which prisoners lasted the longest, and then they would say, "Oh, okay." And each day they did this, minimum of 25 people died on the death march. And then a lot of the rest of them would get sick. And then the ones that survived and still had energy, they would be like, oh, write it down. This guy had this injection at this many doses. And then we will just, you know, use this research further on down the road and we'll try this again. So they were using these poor prisoners at this concentration camp as literal human guinea pigs. I mean, you hear, you hear about that, but you don't hear the explanation of how. And why sometimes, and now I'm feeling really guilty that I didn't, because that is awful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. Like, they didn't, they just did everything they, they could to just dehumanize these people. Let's just, ugh. Yeah, it's just, there's no words for it, really. Anyways, uh, in 1941, back to 1941, <sighs> Yeah, that's a heavy thing. <laughs> the head of medicine for the German government, who was a doctor, had been testing Pervitin 
and he realized that this was a really dangerous thing. He's, you know, this meth crap is terrible. So he realized that he made a decree saying that it was harm going to be harmful to the German people, to the country, and he banned it completely. So he was so like, he a, what would be like our Surgeon General or something? Basically, yeah. yeah okay. So he, um, he basically made it a prescription-only thing. But the, um, the doctors at the time didn't honor the prescription. You could still go buy it without a prescription, or if a pharmacist required that you have a prescription, you could just go to a doctor and be like, hey, I need a script for Pervitin. Like, yeah, here you go. So it didn't really change much, but the Wehrmacht, the German army, or Wehrmacht, uh, they told him, they said, hey, you know what? Um, we're the military. We can do whatever we want, and we need this for the war effort. So uh, the Pervitin kept on flowing to the meth troopers throughout the rest of the war. And <laughs> so actually tying up the... Uh, this, you know, how the Germans used crystal meth. Uh, at the end of the war, when they were losing on all fronts, they were losing to the, you know, the Americans and the British and then to the Russians. Um, Hitler had made, this is, the military had like, okay, they made a decree saying that use Pervitin to keep awake when you fight. And then at the end of the day, when you're tired or end of the, the battle or whatever, when you're tired, uh, they gave them all beer so they could like calm down and actually get some sleep. So because of this then, the guys would go from super high on meth to crazy, and you know how you meth heads are just irrational, to then they would be super drunk. And so then because of that, they would be violent. They wouldn't listen to their commanding officers. And then there was there was enough. There was enough. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? There was enough instances of officers finding. German soldiers having sex with each other, and then since homosexual was such a bad thing for them, they would kill their soldiers that were doing that. So, and any sold, and then Hitler made a decree that any soldier that was caught doing that or ignoring the orders of an officer or fighting with a fellow soldier, they were just to be shot on sight. So he was telling, basically, having his own men just shot. It was just chaos. Wow. So that's how. That's a quick overview on how the German military utilized, you know, some of the meth. Like, everybody was using it. They would just be so methed up, that's how they, that's how they, could, they, they expanded so fast. Military, like, through their campaigns, they expanded so fast. But eventually, everybody started becoming dependent on this, and they started, you know, building up a resistance to it. And, you know, then the start, the, you know, the, perils of addiction started to happen and then you have all these you know, cra- you know all these people just going crazy well your body can only take stuff for so long and just you know you've you've seen what meth does i mean yeah anybody who's and actually, unfortunately been to california yeah I, that was the first time i had really seen it like where it was like there i remember there were places we drove where mm-hmm. obviously the the meth head addiction was so bad it was like watching like a zombie episode yeah like it's, whole neighborhoods where people were just kind of like stumbling around it was Weird man, I I was like, and I knew it was something different than like what I'd seen back here, like in the D, right? It was something yeah. I we didn't have that back then, and I was like, Ooh, I'm glad we don't got this shit. You guys got problems over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've seen that firsthand in California, living there. It's 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 the in my opinion, it's probably the most destructive drug out there. It's super addictive, and it just wrecks people's lives. It wrecks them physically and just ruins people. It's terrible. And the chances of even ever coming clean off of that stuff is probably almost gotta be not much yeah it's very 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 low um it's very 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 hard to do um 
actually, quick side note, since you like corn, uh, Brian Head Welch from corn, he was addicted to meth. Yeah, I watched the whole thing about that. I knew about that. That's he's one like, of the few. I've, yeah, he's but you got to figure he had the money to get a lot of help. Yeah, it was that's a it's I mean, because oh, yeah, I know people a, that have just gotten off methadone and yeah. that's almost killed them. Yeah, that's I mean, just they methadone. had to be like strapped down and just yeah. go through that. Yeah, you know, and you hope you live. And that's not anywhere near the you know, I would that's, think the, yeah. that's not crystal meth. meth, right? Right, <laughs> that's a whole different ball game. But what crack and I crack, you know, just makes me wonder like. When things are that bad, right? You find out something is that bad. Why do people choose to even try something like that? Like, where does your life have to be where you go? I guess nothing matters. You know what I mean? Like, it seems yeah. like, I don't know. It's just so extreme to me. <laughs> yeah, I was, several years ago, I was hanging out with one of my friends in California. And, like, me and him and his brother were all sitting there talking. And his brother was like... <laughs> His brother was like, yeah, he's like, one of my buddies the other day pulled out a spoon of crystal meth, and he asked me if I wanted to take it, and his brother got mad. He's like, did you try it? He's like, what? No. And he looked like he was lying. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And then now, I haven't talked to him in a while, but his life has kind of taken a turn for the worse. Wow. So I'm not 100% sure, but... I know he did have some other drug problems, so whether it was meth or not, I know that he, I believe that he did try it, and I believe it probably has been negatively affecting his when life. When you've never really been exposed to someone who does some, like, really hard shit, like, I, there was a time, one time I was dating this girl, and her, I met her kid, like, for the first time, right? He's, like, yeah. 20 years old or something. And, like, like, lighting up a cigarette, this dude just lights up a crack pipe. Yeah. Like, right in front of me, and I was just, like well, this relationship has to end. Like, I can't be anywhere near <laughs> this kind of weird shit. And I was like, I didn't want to just abruptly get up and leave. I mean, I never came back, believe me. But I was like, I, so I decided, you know what? I just, I'm going to observe. So I sat there for a couple of hours and watched this dude look for a piece of crack, probably the size less than a pinhead, mm-hmm. in carpet for like an hour. Oh, my God. And I just sat and watched him and thought, oh, my God, now that is an addiction. Yeah, and that was the first time I'd really seen like a hardcore addicted drug user, like somebody mm-hmm. who, did, when you will go through a carpet for an a dirty ass carpet for an hour for something like that size to get you high, yeah, that's an addiction. And I don't even I think that isn't meth even worse than crack. Like I don't know, yeah. but any of it's yeah. you know bad. But I know meth. Like I did I. I did research like the top ten most addictive drugs, and I believe meth is one of the top five. It's one of the worst. I don't remember if it's number one or not. I'd have to go look that up again. But I know it's one of the hard. It's like that's uh, pussy. almost almost instantly addictive. <laughs> that's the number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you argue with me all you all you want. It's number one. <laughs> okay. So back to <laughs> Doctor Morell. Yeah, someone with morals. No, no, he didn't have. <laughs> so uh, at the outbreak of World War II. Hitler was receiving his regular injections, his light meth injections from uh, Dr. Morell. Very, very light. But I don't eat meat. Right. But he wasn't telling him. He didn't tell him meth was in it. He's like, oh, it's just vitamins. That he would, he, he, you know, oh, no, this is meth. He, oh, no, it's just vitamins. But as the war drug on and got worse for Hitler and the Germans, uh, his allies began to take, him and his allies began to take more drugs. 
Herman Goring was uh, very much into morphine. Uh, a lot of them were taking cocaine, barbiturates, you know, oxycodone, meth. Uh, and Hitler himself, at actually after one point in his life, he began taking cocaine. And then also the barbiturates to relax. And then uh, oxycodone for pain because he would have a lot of because of uh, drug withdrawals, he would have pain in his arms and legs, and then the doctor was injecting him with oxycodone to help him with those uh, symptoms of withdrawal. And then at one point, uh, he, Dr. <sighs> Dr. Morell was injecting him with bovine cow hormones and testosterone and other animal liver parts and hormones as an aphrodisiac. And so, according to the notes of Dr. Morell, he gave Hitler 34 different types of drugs and medications over the years that he worked for Hitler. Morell kept very detailed journals and records of how he treated Hitler. And in this journal, Hitler was known as patient A. And Ava Brown was known as patient B. And everybody you know, that he treated, you know, he would have a name for him. Uh, he felt that he needed to keep good records because he knew that if anything happened to Hitler, like Hitler got sick and died, uh, he needed to be able to defend himself and have proof of what he treated him with because the Gestapo would investigate him and he didn't want to get blamed for poisoning Hitler. And actually, Hitler, when he met Eva Braun, his fiance for like 14 years, um, he sent her to Dr. Morell and she said, I want to be on the same drugs as Hitler because I want to be able to keep up with him and I want to be able to, you know, you know, do the same things that he's doing. So he gave them to her, too, to give her extra energy and stamina so they could have See, but sex but here's together. the thing that I don't believe. What? I do not believe for a second that these people thought this was just a vitamin. No, I don't either. I mean, come on. You, you're going to do something as strong as that and then try and come off like, oh, but I don't eat turkey? Like, yeah, it gave... You knew that was some jacked up shit. Come on now. I think in their mind they had a justification. Of, oh, it's just vitamins, even though they knew it was more sinister than that. But anyways, they would have Hitler and Ava Brown, reportedly, according to Dr. Morell, they would have, you know, super high drug sex. And it was so intense that Hitler would have to hide wounds from this sexual encounter with Ava Brown from his staff. So that's another reason why he was wearing jackets and stuff, because he would be like cuts and bruises and scrapes and stuff. Hitler was mad fucking. That's just. Mm hmm. Now, there have been many claims about Hitler's sexuality. So I don't know how, you know, true some of this following stuff is, but I think it's just worth sharing and kind of interesting. Um, one of Hitler's friends in the 20s was a popular homosexual, and many people say that Hitler was repressed, a repressed homosexual. Um, others also claim that he molested his half-niece and had her urinate and defecate on him. But none of these can be proven, and from the documents, it sounds like they were just probably these were probably just rumors from political opponents. One of these was actually spread by the CIA during World War II. Yeah, but he didn't have a problem getting them probiotics back in the day. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think we might find some legit uh, evidence of, of, of the other thought. So it is this. Uh, this is the one I believe that the CIA said. Uh, it was uh, well, not the CIA. The CIA didn't start until after World War II, but it was like the whatever division of the government that was kind of like the CIA, intelligence gathering. Um, uh, the they, <laughs> yeah, they, they said that 
uh, Hitler would frequently visit actresses for, quote, private shows. And at one point, an actress he visited fell from a high window and Hitler was supposed to be there for the, quote, private show. But it was unknown if he was there or not. And the Americans say that he killed her and pushed her out. Um, None of that can be substantiated. I think probably a decent amount of that is probably just, you know, people making up rumors. Maybe there's a little bit of truth to it, but nobody will ever know. Uh, Dr. Morell's meticulous journals did keep track of everyone that he treated, though, and the drugs that he gave to them. And Dr. Morell even uh, gave drugs to the Czechoslovakian president when he passed out at the signing of the papers for the surrender of Czechoslovakia to Germany. This guy's worse so than he, Pablo Escobar, man. Yeah. He's fucking he everybody a, up. He had a hand in that. He also oh gave God. drugs to the Japanese ambassador. Dude, that's so messed up. They were so anti-drug, yet just drugging the they shit was, out of everyone. So while the rest of the Nazi party was still really skeptical of Dr. Morale, nearly all of them were on different drugs, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, this heavy drug use led to obvious addictive behavior and... Obvious, you know, lapses in judgment, bad decision making, you know, towards the latter end of the war. And actually in 1939, when Hitler and Stalin signed the non-aggression pact that they had by um, 1941, this is this is the crazy thing. As an example of poor decision making, you know, so in 1939, Hitler and Stalin signed the non-aggression pact. They said, we won't, you know, engage each other in war for 10 years. Well, in 1941 the Russians had been trying to invade Finland and Finland kept holding them back. You know, Finland, this tidy little Nordic country, and they were just throwing like hundreds of thousands of men at the Finns and they were just getting, you know, knocked back. So Hitler was like, Oh, Hey, Vikings, proof. man. So ass. Hitler was like, this is proof that I can invade Russia because Russia is really weak. Apparently he never studied history himself and saw that Napoleon with his masses of armies got wiped out by the Russians. Uh, there's this thing called the Russian winter, which nobody can survive except if you're Russian. Obviously, it's you need the vodka. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's you can't invade Russia. Just don't try. Get enough um, in it preserves you for like six months. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he foolishly believed that he could invade them, and obviously, that was actually one of the Hitler's biggest mistakes. If he had not opened up that front, he probably at minimum, could have at least sued America and um, uh, Great Britain for peace and kept all of the territory that he had conquered. But he opened up that second front in the East, and that ultimately was his downfall. Um, His ultimate goal... This is a crazy fun fact. Not a fun fact. This is a crazy awful fact. Let me rephrase that. This is awful. Hitler's ultimate goal for Russia was to purge and exterminate the population and repopulate it with Germans because he wanted it for farmland. So his he was just so arrogant and cocky, and I bet you that the drugs really you know fueled a lot of that arrogance and cockiness. Yeah, but I think it only just brings out more of the asshole than if someone already is. That's that's true. So interestingly enough. You know, nobody liked uh, Dr. Morell. In 1944, uh, three other doctors were hired to work for Hitler by uh, Heinrich Himmler, the leader of the SS. And by this time, Hitler's health was visibly awful. People could see that he wasn't, you know, his normal self. He couldn't stand up straight. And he, (laughs) this is ridiculous. He would often go off on rants about 
many things. Quick side note here. One of his most common rants was that if everyone didn't eat meat like him, they would all be as healthy as he was, which is insane because he was a physical mess. Everyone could see it. And his body was shutting down from this heavy drug use as it increased month by month. And then, ironically, Dr. Morell set himself up a business to make himself more money where he, he would take all of the leftover waste products from all of Ukraine's slaughterhouses because the Germans had conquered Ukraine. So he was taking all of the spinal cords, the glands and the organs and testicles and whatever from all these animals and slaughterhouses. And he would have those frozen and then transported to a factory that Morell had bought in Hungary. So Morell was actually getting rich off of this because he was like, I need to be able to afford this villa. So they would I have to freeze fact- testicles to pay my bills. <laughs> Basically. So they would uh, take these you know, animal organs and break them down into hormones. And then he would sell those as injections as various, quote, cures. And so Hitler, the super arrogant, high and mighty vegetarian, was getting animal parts and hormones injected into him by Morel on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. When you said bovine, that's obviously cow. Yeah. So at this time, when the three other doctors were hired, Himmler, um, he, he noticed that Hitler didn't look quite right. So, you know, he sent these new doctors in. And then they saw Hitler's appalling health, and they tested the drugs that Hitler had been taking. And in one of those drugs, they discovered that uh, it contained a small amount of strychnine, which is rat poison. So they immediately told Himmler, and Himmler accused Morel of trying to poison Hitler. But Hitler, like, you know, a drug addict, didn't want his dealer to go away. So he got really upset and angry and told everyone in his staff that he trusted Morel completely and he fired all three of the new doctors. And then after this, even Himmler was unable to intervene and touch Morel or get rid of him. Like Morel was basically untouchable because Hitler was just always standing up for him because Morel was his drug dealer and Hitler was addicted. And then we wonder so, why kids want to be drug dealers. Yeah. So on July 20th, 1944, Hitler was at a conference in eastern Germany uh, with many of his generals and leaders. And at 12.42 p.m., a bomb went off. And it was an assassination assassination attempt by a few of his own generals. Uh, Tom Cruise movie, Valkyrie, it's a movie based on that. Pretty good movie. Um, And these generals and commanders that wanted to get rid of Hitler, they saw that if Hitler stayed in power it would mean death for pretty much all of them and Germany would be ruined. So they wanted Hitler out of the way so they could sue for peace and try and hold on to as much as they could. And the conference room where the meeting was held was completely obliterated. You can find footage of this online. It was completely demolished. It's unbelievable that Hitler survived this. Uh, Four people were instantly killed. Many more were injured. If you look online, you can find a picture of Hitler, the pants that Hitler was wearing on that day, and they're just completely shredded. Like, shredded. And during this bomb attack, both of Hitler's eardrums had burst. And he was bleeding out of his ears. And then he had severe burns on his hands, many cuts and lacerations. And then he had a large amount of wooden splinters in his skin. And he was in a lot of pain. So uh, these splinters had to be pulled out one by one. Obviously very painful. So Morel just shot him up with oxycodone and a bunch of other drugs. And Hitler in front of all his staff, 
was all smiling and happy and, oh, this doesn't hurt at all. And I feel fine. This bomb attack didn't touch me because he was high. And they were like all amazed, like, wow. The people that didn't know he was on drugs were amazed that he could be like so, you know, perky and everything after this bomb attack and he's all beat up. And actually, in February of 1945, Hitler was filmed for a propaganda film showing him greeting young boys that were going to... Okay, sorry. That's uh, the next part. I forgot that's a little bit later. So several months later, in '45, Hitler was filmed for a propaganda film that was supposed to go out to the Germans because the Russians were almost to Berlin. He knew They knew the war was over, and he was just stubbornly waiting. So he there's a video. I've seen the video of him shaking hands and greeting a bunch of like boys who were going to be the last line of defense for Berlin. And in this footage, you can see his hands shaking. His hands are like shaking. And so these images have been analyzed by a neurologist. And the neurologist believes that Hitler, the neurologist said he's certain that Hitler had Parkinson's disease. So in addition to the tremors that Parkinson's will, you know, make you have, it also slows down your mind and affects your decision-making, which also falls in line with Hitler's decision-making the last few years of the war. He wasn't making smart decisions, and he couldn't react quickly, and he would, like, wait when he shouldn't wait, like, tactically and stuff like that. So after Germany fell, actually, uh, Hitler's medicine was found in his bunker, and in his uh, bunker they found Pervitin, which Dr. Merle had been giving to him. So at the end there, he was even taking more crystal meth. So he was like a full-blown like meth head by the end of the war. And it's very likely that he had been, you know, Morel had been using the, the higher doses of crystal meth to combat the effects of Parkinson's disease. So then Hitler's drug use, I still think, amplified his sociopathy, and his aggressive and negative personality traits, his racism, just all of the twisted stuff that he, decisions that he made. And then after his death, some psychologists uh, post, you know, his death have diagnosed him as either having bipolar disorder, probably schizophrenia, and definitely psychopathy, which, I mean, he was sociopath, psychopath. He didn't feel the pain of others. He just had some mental troubles. And the drugs, as we know, amplify mental problems. So, like, severely amplify. Like, it just took a mental problem to, like, you know, the 10th power. So, um, whether or not which or not all of those diagnoses are true, we will never know. But it's obvious that he had some mental, you know, health issues. And the drugs just made it worse. He became more and more paranoid and irrational as his drug use increased month by month as you know, someone does when they're an addict, his physical health continued to just deteriorate. By 1944, Hitler needed constant oxycodone injections just to function without constant pain. Damn. Yeah. The British also began bombing the... At this time, the British began bombing every factory that they could find. So the pharmaceutical factories were eventually destroyed. This led to disruption of Hitler not getting his favorite drugs anymore because they didn't have them anymore. Oh, so damn, they in, hit him where it hurts. Yeah. He went into severe withdrawal. And at his last speech to his staff, he was physically, physically shaking, stooped over. He couldn't stand up straight, and he was uncontrollably drooling. He was a complete mess. Wow. So he would also, that in Dr. Morell's notes, he would say that... Um, 
Hitler had a pair of gold tweezers and he would pick at his skin till it bled. And he was saying that he had to get the bad bacteria out of his body. That's perfectly sane. Yeah. So many of his teeth also were fallen out by this point is when you're on meth, you lose your teeth. Um, Morale also had a harder time finding veins to give Hitler his injections because his arms and legs were just covered in track marks. He was just a mess. And then at this point in time, in 1945, Hitler uh, decreed what they called, he called the Nero Act. Uh, he ordered the military to destroy everything. Dams, canals, factories, museums, bridges, bases, supply depots, you know, art houses, pieces of art, anything the enemy could possibly use. He just was like, went full scorched earth and said, destroy everything. He even said that the German people were too weak, that they weren't strong as he originally believed they were. And he ordered the deaths of everybody in Germany and basically the complete annihilation of Germany. And the only reason this didn't happen is because a lot of his staff was not as insane as he was, and they also did not have the explosive and the ammunition to do it. They were Their factories had all been bombed. They had nothing left. So a couple days before Hitler's, uh, Hitler committed suicide, uh, he called in Dr. Morell to provide him with him and his staff the cyanide capsules so they could um, you know, kill themselves. And then he got angry at Morell and fired him. And then Morell walked outside to a car that was waiting for him. And reportedly, he wept like a child as he was driven to an airport where a, the, one of the last planes was. He got on one of the last planes out of Berlin and it flew him to uh, American-held territory in Germany where he was captured. Because at this time, nobody in Germany wanted to get captured by the Soviets because that they considered that a fate worse than death because when they rolled through Russia, they burned, killed, and raped basically everything. And so then when Russia came back through, they burned, killed, and raped everything as they came back through. So it was like, it was terrible for just anybody in Eastern Germany that that time. Like the Germans and the Russians just did horrible things to each other during that war. So then Morel, after he landed in American uh, territory, uh, he was recognized and he was arrested and for being a member of the Nazi party. They smelled him, man. Yeah. They wanted to see if they, you know, he had committed any war crimes. And he spent two years in an American internment camp being interrogated. The Allies wanted to know if he had done anything, you know, war crimes, had anything to do with, you know, Holocaust or any other atrocities. And they also wanted to know everything they could about Hitler and his staff. They wanted as much information as they could. And so Morell was sort of cooperative, but he wasn't really. He would like, he would make up, he would give some facts because they had other people telling, you know, they're interrogating other people. But Morell wasn't always cooperative and he would make up a lot of stuff. And he was just kind of like there sometimes, there not. And he began to like mentally deteriorate. They said it was because of depression and, you know, he'd, you know, been this high and powerful doctor and now he was nothing. So after two years, he, when he was released, he was left in Munich at the train station with no shoes and in very, very poor health. And a local nurse took pity on him and admitted him to a hospital. And she didn't think he was going to last very long. And so then in the hospital, he told the staff that the Americans had tortured him for two years and pulled out his toenails because they wanted to find out all of his secrets. 
like maybe they beat him up a little. I doubt they tortured him because what kind of secrets would he have? I mean, you don't know for sure, but this guy, you couldn't really believe what he said. So it's kind of this 50-50 thing. He wasn't a member of the military. He didn't have any top secret knowledge of everything. He was just a doctor. He was just Hitler's drug dealer, dealer essentially. And then eventually his health just got worse and worse. And he died in the hospital in 1948. And that leads us to the end of this uh, meth trooper, methamphetamine-fueled insanity of 1933 to 1945. That was really cool, man. Yeah. I'm glad glad you did that research. That's that's interesting (laughs) shit. Like, yeah, it took, like, what? We talked about it for two hours, and I put probably maybe 20 hours of research into that. But that was, I was fascinated. The book Blitzed by um, Norman. And let me look it up right now. Um, that book is really, really good. Oh, man, I can't even spell Blitzed. <laughs> Norman Oler. O-H-L-E-R. It's a really, really good book. There's several documentaries on it. It's, it's, I definitely, the documentaries, like some of the documentaries actually have the author in there. They interview the author. You know, he's like one of the sources for the documentaries. Um, they're good, but the book is better because you get way more detail, way more about it. So anybody out there that has enjoyed this podcast. One of your free eight audiobooks? <laughs> actually, I have a free dozen audiobooks. And a I have dozen? Left. Yeah. I got a deal like a year ago, a super good deal. So I have like seven free ones left. Nice. Yeah. So that was one of them. I was like, hey, I need that's to use one I of these for awesome. the podcast. So, yeah, it's a very, very good book. It's not very long. I read it in a day. Yes, I speed read. I actually do speed read so I can read stuff super fast. So uh, if you, you know, for most people, you could probably read it in a couple of days. You know, if you read it only in the evenings, you could read it, you know, three evenings, probably maybe four, depending on how fast you read. Uh, don't, but depending a, on how many children you have. Yeah, that's true. I got too. five, so it's like a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very interesting book. And actually, when I first, my dad actually first told me about that not too long ago, maybe like a year or two ago. And he was like, you, he, he said something about, he was like, you know, we were talking about World War II. And he was like, well, you know, the reason that, um, you know, the Nazis expanded so quickly was because of crystal meth. And I was like, what? I thought he was pulling my leg. I was like, no. And he's like, he had found out about it, you know, recently. And so I was like, well, shoot. So then that came to my mind and I was like, I need to research this. Cause I really do enjoy, I enjoy doing research. Like I love going on, you know, the internet going on, you know, wherever there's so much information out there. It's insane. It's very, in this age, it's very easy to find information on most. And I'm very happy that there are guys like you that will do the research because I'm still stuck just being an essayologist. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's it's cool because like the information's out there, and it's like you know, no matter what you're interested in, you can find something out there that you can be interested in. And a, uh, you know, we're not going to always be talking about history. I actually have uh, in the next couple of weeks, we have a local Houston comedian. Uh, coming on to the podcast we're still trying to set that up we're still trying to hammer out a date uh with thanksgiving coming up next week that may delay it it may not but um she's hilarious i saw her do a stand-up show she's uh, super super funny so i can't wait for that 
And then uh, I have some other, we're going to do some other stuff. It's not all going to be history. We're going to do some more like current uh, figures and maybe events too. I have a list of several things now. And so if you have a topic that you want to, you know, suggest. I got a list of me. smells. You can do <laughs> smells. Like a shit, Just I, a- shit I found in my house and I walked down the hallway like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Just an episode on smells, <laughs> <Yeah>. huh? <laughs> I swear today I took a piss and I swear I smelled cat pee. <laughs> and I was like, how come every time I go come in here to go to the bathroom, it smells like cat pee? And then I was like, oh, my God. My pee smells like cat pee. What the fuck am I eating? That I smell like a feline. Somebody help me, please. Call in on the. Let us know. On a, you know the answer to this question. What the hell? Sorry, I just. Yeah. <laughs> that's one. Uh, that's that's how my brain works. You guys know. Podcast episode uh, <laughs> topics. Uh, Juan's cat pee smell. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the odd smells in the house. That was just one I figured out, dude. I got like four or five more. I don't even have no fucking idea. <laughs> so, um, uh, silver linings from this. Um, if you don't have a doctor that's like this doctor, that's a really good thing. And uh, mental health, once again, people, mental health. It's a very important to, you know, if you think for a second or an inkling, you have a mental health problem or if someone that you love or you know care about has a mental health problem urge them to seek help actually i've had my own eye-opening you know I, i've shared about that we shared about that in episode five our own experience yeah you know what i got out of that too and i was thinking earlier i was thinking man that's why i don't drink because yeah. if i dude there's plenty of crazy in me every day when <laughs> yeah. i when i used to drink oh that's a level of crazy nobody needs and so, yeah. you know, because it would, like you said, it would amplify. Yeah. Like, this doesn't need to be amplified, man. Yeah. So, that's why I don't drink. And because I know yeah. it's just not good for me. You know, for the rest of you who can, you bastards. <laughs> but uh, it's just not good for me, you know? So, I made that choice. because I, I don't mind being little nuts, but that puts <laughs> me into, you know, I'm getting like the Costco-sized nut bag then. So... <laughs> Not my nut bag, damn jazz. I was just talking like you know, size wise, <laughs> like as in grams or ounces. Jeez, not inches. How did I go to a dick? I don't even know. Help me. <laughs> so yeah, there's actually a lot of um, you know, silver linings you can pull out of that. Uh, we, <laughs> silver lining is that we live in a day and age where we can learn from the mistakes of the past, where we can, you know look at research we can look at you know records and see you know the you know what you know how to avoid you know when things are bad and you know life does get hard maybe don't listen to someone who makes all sorts of crazy promises that they really can't pull through on yeah be careful question things don't dye your hair a bunch of weird colors like uh blackbeard did because it didn't go good for him it didn't go good for you six nine either (laughs) yeah see you know it sounds like we talked about before so yeah i mean like you can learn from this yeah, it's many, many silver linings can be taken. It know, really does show to show you like that old adage that they say, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. When someone comes to you and is just saying exactly what you, you know, you want to hear. Yeah. Uh, that does pe- put, tend to put people's guard down on, as to how you're going to get there. Yeah. So it's, but it's interesting, like you said, how history does repeat itself. And you're like, if you had just, you know. But maybe or maybe not. Maybe people just are always going to make decisions based on their current situation. But 
I I think a vast majority of people probably do, especially when you're in like dire straits like that. When things are really, really bad and you just want food and you just want a job. I mean, that's, you know, that's just a level of suffering that a lot of people just in our country, a lot of people haven't experienced. Right. And so if you did come to that point, people just, you know, freak out and they'll just do anything to get life back the way it was. And, you know, sometimes you may have to like, you know, give up some things that you really shouldn't give up and you don't want to give up, but you just want that job or that next sandwich or potato or whatever. Uh, it's chili cheese fries, but uh, <laughs> well, chili cheese fries have potatoes in them. Yeah, yes, they do. <laughs> now I was just thinking about that the other day because when Jazz and I got married, this is no bullshit. When we got married, because we just wanted to do things the right way for us, mm-hmm. we had five dollars to our name. Mm-hmm. We were, I think, we we're homeless still. Um, the fee to get in the park where we were going to have our wedding was five dollars. <laughs> so we went in that bitch with zero. <laughs> and it was like you said, to get back to where we are now, the things we had to give up, some of the stuff you had to give up, you would have never thought you'd ever give it up. But yeah. you had to, you know, at least temporarily. Yeah. And uh so yeah, you're right, man. Those things will make you make some hard ass decisions. But yeah. if someone came to me and was like, Hey, you don't have to like give up your kids, I'd be like, Okay. I might not ask how. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I've been kind of in that situation. So I was really thinking about that kind of deeply. Like, man, I, you're right. When you, you get down to it, was like, man, we were homeless in the winter in Michigan, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's no uh, joke, man. <laughs> at least, yeah. I, but I remember not feeling too bad because I was thinking, well, at least we have a car. Like, we could stay in there. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, it gets cold. But I was just saying, like, that's, that's you're right. When people get put in situations, it's like people really should never judge other people at all. No. You haven't walked that walk. You really don't know, man. Yeah, that's true. I I prefer to have a. I'm not perfect. I don't I I don't do this all the time, but I really do try and give people like you know, at least the benefit of the doubt. You know, at least you know go you know at least remember myself. You know what I I don't walk their shoes. I have not lived their life. Maybe I would be making the same decisions that they are. Maybe I wouldn't. But I really can't judge them, and I shouldn't judge them for what they're going through. Like, you know, it's just not fair because you don't know what somebody else is experiencing. Yeah, sometimes you really people don't. see someone doing something not good, right? Right. Like, I, when, I, when I lived in the hood, like, I mean, I literally seen people steal, but I knew they were stealing to eat. Like, it wasn't like they were stealing jewelry and shit. It's like, <laughs> she's just grabbing a head of lettuce, man, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. But, so when, but when you're really, I mean, really struggling, like, man, that's... what it, I... In the States, like you said, it doesn't happen much. I'm almost grateful that it happened because it really made me have a lot more sensitivity to the people who are in those situations, man. Like, Because no one wants to have to explain why they're there. You're just there. Yeah. Right? And you're like, it's cold. You're hungry. Like, you have yeah. nowhere to sleep. You know, like, we had, to give, we had to give our kids up temporarily. Yeah. And people thought we were throwing them away. So people thought we were, like, bad people. And, like, why would you do this? And, like. So yeah, man, it was it was dark. But the thing is, is like when you can get through stuff like that, the silver lining is that's why me and Jazz like we've been through some shit, right? <laughs> so it's like she ain't going nowhere. We literally got married with zero. You find a girl that'll marry you and fuck you six years later on zero money. 
<laughs> Good luck, my friend. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, so when you hear those stories, it sounds really drastic that people would do those things or follow behind people that nutty. But but what's crazy yeah. is, like you said, it's the people close to them realize how nuts they are. But yeah. then at that point, like they don't have the power to really do a lot about it other than kill them. Yeah. But it's amazing. Like, how do the people like Hitler just keep living? He's all jacked up on meth for years. And yeah. he lives a just horrible life. And, get, you know, but it's weird how it's like sometimes the injustices just don't seem to measure out. Yeah. It's one of those, you know, things that life, it just sometimes it seems like the, the worst of the worst make it out better than the people who are, you know, trying really hard, you know, to be. You know the good parent, the good spouse, the good you know kid, you know good whatever, and then the person that's stabbing everybody else in the back is you know laughing and you know getting everything. But I think it's not also, fair. But that's life. Yeah, and also too though. But in reality, when when people come and go, you never know how long your life is. You could die in a night. You know what I mean? But yep. Point is like it's what people remember about you, who you were that matters. You yeah. know, and so. You know, that's that's the silver lining of that. It's like you just hope that you leave a, le- a legacy behind yourself of being at least a decent human being, you know? Yeah, because nobody's ever going to That's my goal. Hitler's just a decent like... human being would be good for me. That would be, yeah. you know, he was a decent human being. Yeah. It was a little rough around the edges. They were, <laughs> they were smooth and round. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I would take that. Uh, you know, because right now it would probably be like, wow, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... The silver lining in that is no one's going to think about you the way pretty much everybody thinks about Hitler. Yeah, definitely not, because I'm not doing that stash. <laughs> no, but nobody... no, but like, if, <laughs> if Hitler left a legacy, and he's probably wider, widely regarded as, if not the worst, one of the worst human beings that ever lived based upon his actions and the things that he did, you know? So, you know? The, the crazy thing is, is like Joseph Stalin had more people killed than I was going to say Stalin. Talk made, about that. I was going to say but, Stalin had him, but numbers by. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, of- it was like 30 million people. It's like insane. But the thing is, is like Hitler just gets this bad rap because of like how he handled everything. It's just, yeah. It was 200 but, you know, million. Yeah. 200 million versus, you know, I mean, not that everyone's life matters. I'm not saying that not to sound cliche, but like. But when you go by numbers, it's wonder why. But I think it's also the reason that Hitler gets put to that number one slot is because he's just the craziest of them all. Yeah. And, you know, the way everything now understanding why that's, that's exactly what he looks like. Yeah. He looks like a damn method. Yeah. He's up there all jacked up. You're like, you know, break an elbow. What are you doing? Like, how do you have that so much energy? You're old, aren't you? What the fuck? Now, you know. Actually, before one of uh, in the research, I found out before one of his speeches, he got lightheaded and passed out. And guess what? They shot him up with meth, and he got out there and delivered a roaring speech. So I mean, it was it was nuts. You know why they don't tell people this stuff? Because then how do you be like, don't say no to drugs, kids? (laughs) It's like you know when you're struggling in school and you're sleepy, shoot some meth. Like what? I guess they'd invade Europe one day. Get get right through both those lines in that football game. No problem, bro. What? (laughs) I mean, the long-term things aren't good, but for then, you know, you're going to be a rock star. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm just like, I wonder, like, how bad of a dad I'm going to be. I'm 
I got five. I'm ho- I'm hoping, man. I got I I want to at least live long enough to know my kids are okay. Mm-hmm. That or or if they're not, before people start blaming me. Because <laughs> you know that's all coming on me. Ain't nothing coming on Jay. <laughs> you hear the way he was talking around those kids? <laughs> you hear the way they talk around me? I'm like, where the heck do you hear this? And then I realized, oh my goodness, it's us. I'm like, I guess I got to start watching my mouth. I said that to Jay. I said, that. I, was like, I guess I should start watching my mouth around the kids. Now I realize. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I mean, I would love to think that I could make that move. like, But that's just too much for me. <laughs> nope, too late. That's like quitting Pepsi. <laughs> just, that's a no-doer. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we love your feedback. Please reach out to us. Uh, I really enjoyed, you know, sharing this uh, little lesser known story with you. I hope you all enjoyed it. Read that book blitzed by Norman Oler. If you're interested, uh, you know, have a great Thanksgiving and, you know, check back in with us next week. Uh, Seahawk predator out. And if you do know the answer to this, uh, cat cheese smell problem, could you, uh, hit us up and let me know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Demon came out.